0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: And especially warm, particularly given it was slightly belated. Welcome to our first movers around the globe as we embark on a busy week for both Wall Street And for Washington, the science and the stimulus, as we often call it, in focus. President Biden announcing his long-promised Buy America plan today, looking to boost government spending on U.S.-made goods. President Biden's economic push already facing pushback from Congress to limit his $1.9 trillion emergency aid bill. Senators demanded a more targeted approach during a call with the White House yesterday. The problem is, of course, the glitchy vaccine rollout, the need to extend spread mitigation efforts and the new variants of the virus have all slowed the recovery and added to the uncertainty here. More aid will be needed eventually. It's just a question of when rather than if. Slow growth fears have slowed the rally in value and economic reopening stocks. Pandemic winners, meanwhile, like tech, remain king. Up 5% so far this month and sitting at record levels. That also means lofty earnings expectations. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Tesla all reporting this week. So, something to watch. That tech optimism, though, extending to Asia too. The Hang Seng closing above 30,000 for the first time in almost two years, with Tencent rising 10%. Also, At fresh records, Tencent also approaching a $1 trillion market valuation. Wow. Chinese shares up more than 4% this year too. China, in fact, now the number one destination for foreign direct investment, surpassing the United States as inward investment there fell by more than a half. Just add that to the list of Biden's business battles all right, let's get to the drivers. President Biden starting his first full week in office looking to win bipartisan support for his $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, but the chances of finding a compromise complicated by another development in Washington over the coming hours when the House initiates the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, that's a question we can't answer at this moment, but we can talk about stimulus and we can talk about the Buy America plan. Taking a leaf, it seems, a little
2: one perhaps from President Trump's playbook here, what should we expect this is going to be a tightening up of some loopholes that are already in these Made in America provisions, in the Buy America provisions in the United States. And, and I guess you can look back on um, the Buy America provisions after the Great Recession uh, under the uh, Obama administration for a framework here. At least that's what a lot of our global, America's global partners are hoping for, uh, because they don't want to be shut out and they have some pretty intricate and intri- integrated supply chains here. So this is essentially tightening it up so that uh, um, the, the loopholes uh, cannot be used to avoid buying America when it is the, the most appropriate route here for, for government contracts. Also, putting some new personnel in place and finding ways to connect um, domestic sources in the U.S. to, to government contracts when there's, where there's a question. Yeah, international trade partners who've been wary of relations for the last four years. We've watching this
1: very closely, yeah. I think. Um, let's talk about the stimulus plan as well. It's sure. interesting to see some of the pushback that we've seen over the size of the bill, where that spending's going to go. But Senator Mitt Romney took a different tack in the last 24 hours as well over what he sees in terms of vulnerabilities of excess spending by the United States. Let me just play it for our viewers and get your take.
3: I think people recognize it's important that we don't borrow hundreds of billions, actually trillions of dollars from the Chinese for things that may not be absolutely necessary. This is a time for us to act with prudence and care. And that's why, by the way, why we have two parties, why why we have people looking at one another and making sure there's not some kind of excess that would be not good long term for
2: the American people.
1: Christine, what do you make of that?
2: Well, where was the hue and cry about borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars from the Chinese when they were giving tax cuts to big American corporations that in turn had so much extra money they didn't know what to do with it, they gave it back to their shareholders? No, 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 no. There is a four-alarm fire in the American economy at the moment. This is a health care crisis and an economy that is essentially just stopped here, and we need— income replacement and, and life support, really, heading into the summer until we have the vaccines take hold. So this is not the normal time when you worry about buying borrowing money from the Chinese. Um, this is a time when you worry about making sure you've got uh, borrowing at these very low interest rates to fix the economy. I- I'll tell you something. The word targeted is something I've heard so much over the past week or so. And, and moderate Democrats and Republicans alike are worried about targeted this targeting the spending. That is fine. But we have to remember, Remember, there there are uh, 15 million people getting some sort of jobless check. We're down 10 million jobs since the crisis began uh, in March. You have food pantries that are empty, and you have kids, millions of kids who are hungry, millions of children who are hungry because they're not getting fed in school, something that the Biden administration is trying to tackle with executive orders. But there's a real crisis here just because the stock market's at records. Uh, Hello inside the Beltway. The stock market's at records, but the American people are really, uh, uh, you know, it's a real tragic moment here, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, it's okay to worry about this bill being jam-packed or stuffed with things that aren't COVID-related, quite frankly. But that was an interesting argument to me. Uh, That vulnerability has long existed. And uh, selling those treasuries, too, is a vulnerability for for China as well if they lose value. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. No, it's a
2: great, look, it's a great (laughs) academic debate. And it's a debate you and I have had for years, I mean, I mean, yes. I mean, I uh, uh, normal people are, are, are deficit hawks by 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 nature, you know, but this not in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. I mean, this is not the time to be worried about the Chinese owning our debt. Yeah,
1: we agree. As always.
2: <laughs> Christine. <laughs> Romans.
1: Thank you for that. All right, on Sunday, online retailer Amazon joined the U.S. vaccination drive. 2,000 people received their first doses at Amazon Pop-Up Center in Seattle, but the company has offered to do more. It wants to help the Biden administration to speed up vaccine distribution nationwide. Joining us now, Jay Carney, Amazon's Senior Vice President of Global Corporate Affairs. He also served as the White House Press Secretary (coughs) under President Obama. Jay, always fantastic to have you on the show talk to me about the success of the pop-up event and then any challenges that were faced.
3: Sure. Well, we were really pleased with what mm. happened yesterday. We uh, partnered with Virginia Mason, uh, a healthcare uh, insurance firm or provider in Seattle, and uh, set up, uh, provided the, the space and the logistics to set up a pop-up uh, vaccination event. Our goal was to uh, see 2,000 uh, the Seattleites have vaccinated. We hit 2,400. It ran about eight, eight, eight hours, a little more. Uh, and we're very excited to be participating uh, in Washington State with the governor there, Jay Inslee, in his drive to uh, hit a cadence of 45,000 vaccinations per day. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, we've uh, reached out to the new administration here in Washington, D.C., uh, offering uh, whatever help we can provide. Uh, and, and we're open to ideas for that uh, as they uh, set out to achieve their goal uh, set by President Biden to see 100 million vaccinations done in 100 days.
1: It's also great practice, I guess, for when you begin and are able to do mass vaccinations at your own fulfillment sites. As you pointed out in that letter as well, look, you have frontline workers, essential workers that in many cases have kept us fed and given supplies over the last few months. Talk to us about your progress on that front. And have you heard anything from the administration about clarifying when those workers can be vaccinated?
3: Sure. So we back in December with the Trump administration had written Dave Clark, our our worldwide CEO consumer, he uh, wrote a letter, uh, reached out to the uh, advisory committee uh, on immunization practices, which is the federal uh, committee that, uh, that gives recommendations to uh, uh, around prioritization for immunizations and vaccinations. Uh, and uh, in other outreach to the Trump administration, we were told that we should go to the states who have jurisdiction and offer assistance there, which we, we did. We ended up writing letters uh, a, little, a few days later in December to 44 governors uh, because they are uh, in the jurisdictions where we have a preponderance of employees. So we have, as you know, uh, you know the vast majority of eight hundred thousand uh, employees here in the United States are frontline workers they're in our distribution centers and our fulfillment centers, uh, and they get those uh, goods to uh, folks around the country who need them uh, in a way that's safe for our customers and we've done everything we can to ensure that our employees are safe. We have uh, the ability because of our scale and the size of our facilities, uh, the ability to vaccinate on site uh, huge numbers of people, uh, which obviously both governors, uh, mayors in major cities, as well as uh, President Biden uh, want to do. They wanna uh, speed up the process of getting the vaccinations in place. And once it's uh, the appropriate time in the different jurisdictions for essential workers to be vaccinated, uh, we're absolutely eager to help. Uh, We run programs in all our fulfillment centers as it is uh, for annual flu shots. So we have a a lot of experience in in administering shots uh, on site. Uh, And once uh, vaccinations are available for essential workers, we're eager to get uh, as many of uh, our frontline employees vaccinated as possible.
1: Yeah, but you can help the public too. And I guess this is the point, Jay. Do you think that it's going to be more efficient, more effective under this administration than what you just described under the last one, where you're having to go to individual states and talk around the subject? And it surely needs to be more centralised focused?
3: Well, I, I I personally believe that. I think that having a, a federal plan is is uh, essential for something of this scale. Uh, it's true that the states uh, and in some cases the uh, municipalities have the jurisdiction around setting priorities for vaccination, but there's nothing like uh, when you have a national crisis, and in this case an international crisis, uh, you know, federal government guidance and uh, administration. I'm very confident, having worked with him, that Jeff Science uh, whom President Biden put in charge of this effort uh, will be able to uh, wrestle the the complexities to the ground and uh, you know get the country uh, moving in the right direction when it comes to getting the vaccination rolled out. Of course, it's not an easy task and. Uh, We're eager to help where we can. We're one company, but we are the second largest employer in the United States. And uh, we're open to any suggestion. We we wrote that letter, or my colleague wrote the letter to uh, the new president. Uh, We've engaged with the administration already. uh, And uh, even during the transition, we talked uh, to uh, their advisory council on COVID-19. And we're open to assisting in any way we can. We have facilities we can provide for vaccinations. We have logistic capacities, obviously, uh, that we can provide. We have uh, IT uh, capacity, machine learning and other ways that can help uh, track, uh, you know, methods that can help track vaccination mm. uh, progress to ensure that we're doing it efficiently. So, you know, we're just trying to help, you know, other companies are doing the same thing and, and it really needs to be a collective effort.
1: Jay, I want to, um, because I follow your uh, Twitter handle quite closely and I noticed that you tweeted about <laughs> the $15 minimum wage And it's something that Amazon introduced back in 2018. And your point was, look, you'd be very glad to see other big companies in the United States introducing a $15 minimum wage. What do you think the likelihood is of that? Because obviously the president started small. It's at the federal level. It's laying the path rather than being able to do it specifically and enact it from from day one. Jay, how likely is it that we see a $15 minimum wage?
3: Sure, Julia, you need congressional action to raise the federal minimum wage, (laughs) which is challenging uh, in any circumstance. It hasn't been done since 2009. And uh, it needs to be raised. We fully believe it. And uh, we're eager to help and and talk about our experience, which has been extremely positive in raising our our minimum around, you know, for our hourly hourly workers to $15. And we, of course, are are aware that if the federal minimum gets raised, uh, that's going to raise all uh, hourly wages. And and that will mean a a boost for our employees as well. So I think uh, hopefully in this time of uh, economic challenge, Congress will... Take up the $15 minimum bills that are that are pending, and and act on them. They can phase it in uh, and not have it be all at once, which is what we did. But but obviously this is a complex situation. The regions of the country are different, uh, but and they can phase it in. And if they do, I think the the economic uh, studies that I've read, if it's done appropriately, it has uh, a huge amount of positive upside. Obviously for lower income employees, it helps uh, with the wage gap and the equity gap. Uh, but it also does not have a negative impact on job creation if it's done and administered appropriately. So uh, we're eager to to help on that as well.
1: Yeah. Jay, great to have you with us. As always, Jay Carney, Senior Vice President of Global Corporate Affairs at Amazon. Always great to chat to you, sir. Thank you. All right. The market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running on the first trading day of the week. And it's a pretty mixed open, but tech... Rising to fresh records. Lots of talk about a wave of bullish tech bets in the options market. That's helped fuel the Nasdaq's advance to record highs. Goldman's warning that it's seeing signs of, quote, unsustainable excess in parts of the US market. Some people have been talking about that for a long time. In the meantime, Moderna shares are higher in early trading. It says its vaccines appear to protect. ...against the new COVID variants, but it says it's working on a booster shot for the South African variant in case it's needed. So good news from Moderna this morning. And one year has passed since Wuhan, China, the original epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, entered the world's first COVID lockdown... CNN has revisited the city to see just how things have changed. David Culver joins us live. David, I don't think I'll ever forget seeing you in Wuhan in the beginning and running, trying to leave, being stuck and quarantining. What is it like when you're on?
4: You're right. And it's strange to think 12 months, Julia, Mm. has passed. and We've been having this conversation about the past 12 months and looking at what has been several stages of life. You know, it's gone from that adrenaline rush that you described in leaving And for the people of Wuhan, it likewise was an adrenaline fueled by uncertainty, mystery, the unknown. That then turned into a crippling lockdown that lasted 76 days. That ended up in fatigue, but seemed to be effective, brought life back to near normal. But that was for the back half of the year. And here we are, as we mark one year, one thing that was evident for us as we went back into Wuhan is that for many of the folks there, it's still starting to process for them. This is when they're coming to the realization of what the past year has been like. It is a city whose name evokes mystery, allegations of cover up, and agony. Wuhan, China. CNN returning to this, the original epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. On January 23, 2020, this metropolis of more than 11 million residents locked down. We left hours before, beginning a two week quarantine in Beijing. For 76 days, Wuhan remained sealed off. And here we are again back one year later the huanan seafood market this at one point was believed to have been by chinese authorities the ground zero of this outbreak this time last year security had ushered us away within minutes of reporting okay. now january 2021 no security here we've been walking around for several minutes they don't seem to care that was until we started looking inside we noticed some people working behind the gate Suddenly, a seemingly random passerby on a bike shouted at us, saying, don't be sneaky. He later identified himself vaguely as working for the government. He told us to walk around and try the entrance.
2: Can we go
4: in? We can go in. That way? He said apparently we can go in, so we'll see if we can actually get inside the market. Man, but I'm going to ask this guy, can you go in? You can't go inside? Oh, tell them we have a, a COVID test, a negative COVID test.
5: Okay. You just we all You can't
4: pray. get it? Don't take the pictures. OK, right no now. pictures. Okay. Yeah. So clearly a bit sensitive. Perhaps it's because we're foreigners or because we're journalists. The virus's origin has become highly politicized. U.S. officials accusing China of covering up and allowing the virus to spread. China, defensive, saying the Trump administration was deflecting blame for its own mishandling. A team from the WHO is now in Wuhan, tasked with trying to find out the truth. And yet, geopolitics aside, the human suffering, it is universal. Young Min spoke with us knowing she could face pressures from officials. But a mother who's lost her only daughter has no more to lose. When I sat down, you thanked me for getting the truth out. What is the truth as you know it? The local officials did not tell us about the pandemic, she said. If measures were taken, I would not have sent my child to the hospital, which was the source of the infection. Last January, Young's 24-year-old daughter had been receiving treatment for cancer. She contracted COVID-19 and died in early February.
0: When I speak about this, some parts of my heart
4: still ache, she said. Amidst the it, deep right? pain, we also encountered yeah. moments of hope in our return. On the eve of the lockdown last year, we visited this fruit market. This woman selling sugarcane told me at the time that she was terrified. She stayed, fearing the financial burden. Twelve months later, we met again. At that time, I was crying all the time, she told me. We were suffering and scared. Above her face mask, the pain still visible in her eyes. She says the people of Wuhan are resilient, likening them to heroes. I'm so glad to see you in person and to know that you made it through the lockdown and you're healthy. The market mood, remarkably different from last year. Business, bustling, people much more at ease. Would you say Wuhan is back open and on the path to recovery? It's not just starting from now, he says. It started very early, to be honest. In my opinion, Wuhan had already begun to recover since mid to late March. Delivery driver Lao Ji has become well-known on Chinese social media, as he chronicled life during the lockdown. The then and now are striking, a city desolate amidst the lockdown, followed by a summer with packed pool party images that shocked a socially distanced world outside of China and a new year celebration that brought Wuhan residents shoulder to shoulder. Though with new cluster outbreaks in the north of China, many here in Wuhan once again wearing face masks, cautious of the lingering unknowns, and still surrounded by the haunting memories of a lockdown that kept millions of residents, along with their grief, sealed inside. For some, only now, 12 months later, it is just beginning to surface. And Julia, we know the pandemic has become a highly politicized thing in many ways. And and geopolitics aside, because as you and I have talked about many times, it's become in a generalized way. China versus the U.S., a lot of blame going around. I think what this visit back brought to us was the realization that there is a very real human suffering that is still taking place and is not likely to heal anytime soon.
1: Yeah, it's such an important point, David, for all the economic recovery in terms of numbers and the different handling of it, to your point, the suffering continues. David Culver, brilliant work. Thank you. As always, you're watching First Move, more to come. Welcome back to First Move, the new US president set to sign an executive order today to boost Buy American rules in manufacturing. Some fear Joe Biden's focus on domestic recovery by supporting American products could pose a challenge for foreign brands such as Suntory. It's one of Japan's largest alcohol and beverage and consumer products firms, best known for its whiskeys, perhaps, including Jim Beam, the company owns and distributes in multiple international brands. Joining us now from Tokyo is the CEO of Suntory, Takeshi Nianami. He's also economic advisor to the Japanese prime minister. Sir, always fantastic to have you on the show how closely are you watching the announcements from the new Biden administration, particularly as far as foreign trade relationships
5: are concerned? Well, we've been uh, studying so so hard as for mm. the uh, trade policies and uh, as for the uh, uh, products produced in the United States. Uh, just like uh, the uh, U.S. relation and uh, the EU, which is uh, really in trouble. As a matter of fact, it's just like uh, tit and, t- and t- uh, relations like uh, trade you know, tariff war. But uh, uh, we are hopeful that uh, someday, somehow, that will be uh, solved by the uh, strong initiative of the uh, President Biden.
1: So you're confident of so a, a, a-, a reset in relations? You're confident that we'll see a reset?
5: I think so. Um, it's not uh, worse than now created by President Trump.
1: I want to talk to you about what you're seeing in Japan as well, and we, as we wait for that to, to play out. You said to us the last time you were on the show that the first quarter of this year, sort of December, January, February, was going to be incredibly tough for, for everyone. We've obviously got areas now in Japan under the second lockdown. Just what are you seeing there?
5: The new restriction on bars and the restaurants is a uh, harsh blow. And I see so many irregular workers are leaving businesses, which means uh, they became jobless. And they are under the uh, huge relief package from the government, but they need more. And plus, we see more companies in the service sector losing businesses. So, as I expected, the first quarter uh, would be so hard for them and for us as well. But uh, People losing jobs do not have a hope toward the future when this situation will be better and uh, when they can find jobs. So that's a critical issue for our economy.
1: As you've said, more support is needed despite what's already been given. I'm sure that's the message that you're giving to the prime minister too. How confident are you that more support is coming?
5: Yeah, the current Congress, which we call Diet, is now mm. discussing how to support. I believe more support will be provided to people. The key thing is it's decided about how to implement by the government with agility. So money is ready, but it should be spent through bureaucratic processes. So the government has to be in a hurry to support people in need. That's
1: one part of tackling covid another is testing tracing vaccine rollouts in in the last week or so there have been concerns rumors that given the situation in japan it's simply not going to be possible to hold the olympics later this year what's your own view based on what you're seeing do, do you think it's a huge risk to bring athletes people from other nations at this moment to japan
5: yeah well our government is making every effort. I believe that uh, that should work, but uh, there are two key things. One, further PCR testing and stringent uh, uh, quarantine to capture uh, asymptomatic patients. And that should be done ASAP. And second, uh, everybody should wear the uh, application to trace uh, our contacts. So those things should be uh, good policies so that we can welcome players to the Olympics. So I'm uh, uh, talking to the government to implement those policies, ASAP. If they are successful in uh, managing a, asymptomatic uh, patients, I think there is a clue so that the pe- we can organize and that we can host the Olympics. But there is a very small chance at this moment. We'll see. And the vaccine will follow after two policies.
1: There just doesn't seem to be enough time to, to do all that and get enough confidence in order to be able to hold these. When do you think a decision will be made whether to scale back and hold some form of Olympics or just decide not to, not to do it?
5: I think toward the, uh, March, I mean, the end of March, So that is uh, I think, a right timing because we will see vaccination will start or not. The schedule, rough schedule, has been announced, but it's not fixed yet. So toward the end of March is, I think, the right timing for the government and IOC to decide whether we should go or not go.
1: I want to wrap up by talking about your business. As we've said, it's a very challenging time, but you do have a a huge and international business as well. What are you thinking at this moment as we look ahead to 2021 in terms of investment, growth opportunity? How are you framing it?
5: Well, I think the, uh, from summer, this summer, I think the uh, strong accumulated pent-up demand will you know, erupt to, to, to uh, boost the consumption in the world. So I'm so optimistic about the second uh, half of this year. So people want to buy, uh, you know, drinks, uh, people want to dine out. So uh, that's uh, the humankind's, you know, nature. So I think that, that that will show the strong demand to our products and, uh, you know, consumer products. So that is uh, really uh, important for us to, to leverage the pent-up demand. So in doing so, our consumers uh, will be asking for innovative products and uh, premium products. So we will be ready for it.
1: We're social creatures. We want to get back out there. So uh, I hope that your optimism about the second half of this year is true. You've told us in the past that some of the most interesting areas, India, Southeast Asia, China, for you. Is that still the case? And is that perhaps where you're looking?
5: Yes, sir. Uh, Vaccinations mm-hmm. are already happening in those countries right. as well. Uh, it's it's uh, you know growing consensus that, that they will get the support from China, whether it's good or not. But I think uh, uh, people are getting kind of relief uh, from uh, vaccines provided by China. And uh, India has a strong demand to whiskey and spirits and drinks. And they, so Asia is a center, still a center of growth in the world. And uh, we will put more resources to Asian countries, including China, India.
1: Yeah, consumption and investment opportunities where we see the speediest vaccine rollout and control of the virus, which makes sense. So fantastic to have you on the show as always. Thank you for giving us your thoughts and insights. The CEO of Suntory there said thank you. You're watching First Move, more to come. Welcome back to the show. Digitization is having a transformative impact on the travel industry, and that's only been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. In one of the world's largest tourist hubs, Dubai, one startup is using the latest technologies to make exploring cities more autonomous, but also more personalized. Anna Stewart has the story. (music)
6: digital tour guides, fully personalized itineraries, and vlogging. Travel is becoming digitized, and Dubai-based tech entrepreneur Fabian Dagerstein is seeing a gap in the market.
5: The next big idea in the travel industry is autonomous travel. To be able to plan, book, and navigate travel experiences
6: Spurred on by the global pandemic, individual and small group travel is becoming more popular. Dagostine believes tourists are looking for tailored and authentic experiences. He's developed Street Life, an app that allows users to create their entire trip on their phones.
4: Hi, everyone, I'm Zara.
6: Local vloggers and Instagram influencers like Zara Amira can feed high quality digital tours of unexplored shops and public places, showing their local experiences. Users can watch and choose the places they want to visit, creating a customized itinerary before starting their physical journey.
5: You have to imagine it like a TikTok for travel, where you can swipe up and down between different tours, bookmark the places you like, create your own tours, and book Kareem's and Uber's to be able to get from one place to the next.
6: Digital tools, such as virtual reality, AI, and algorithms, are increasingly being adopted in the travel industry. This tech will add up to $305 billion of value to the travel industry by 2025, according to research by the World Economic Forum. The pandemic is forcing cities to showcase their landmarks through virtual tours and interactive experiences. But D'Agostin believes advances in technology will complement the physical travel experience.
5: Always will have to have the physical experience. So we're building the technology to fully personalize it.
6: His ambitions go beyond Dubai. Street Life will launch shortly in Zurich and Berlin. And as more travel restrictions will be lifted, Dagestine has plans to expand to other locations. Combining technology with physical travel, Dagestine street life is aiming to become the digital go-to for autonomous, personalised and seamless travel. Anna Stewart, CNN.
1: Just incredible, but I cannot wait to get on a plane and travel again. (laughs) That's it for the show. Thank you for watching. I'm Julia Chastley. Stay safe and best move. We'll be back tomorrow.